Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Hi, everyone. If you can believe it, it's week number seven in our series that's entitled Healthy, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to take just a moment with you and give you a bit of an announcement. It's an, it's an important piece for us. I just want to start by saying GT is a church that's all about next steps. And we know that next steps happen best through relationship and connection. And so that's why this season has been so hard for us, for you, is because COVID has affected our connectedness, our relationships. And so we're launching something new to help support people in their spiritual journey and to help you take next steps. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be leveraging Facebook in a brand new way. Now, why Facebook? Well, the truth is two-thirds of all Canadians are on Facebook. I know that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, two-thirds of all Canadians are coming to one space to interact. Don't you think the church should be there? Don't you think that we should be there in a very positive way? And so we're launching a brand new online Facebook community. It's a real place to connect, to grow, to learn, to pray, and um, it's where you can stay connected to one another and, and to our team as well. And so you might be saying, Andy, don't we already have a Facebook page? Yes, GT Church has a Facebook page, but we're doing something brand new with this. And it's going to be our online community center. I want you to think about it that way. You go to a community center, you interact with people, you develop, you grow. And that's what this is going to be. Most of our online communication is one way. We're sharing stuff with you. We're promoting stuff to you. Little comments here, little comments there. But we want to create two-way communication. And so we want to invite you to join us in this online community. It's going to be awesome. We want you to visit our website or go to our Facebook page and you'll find a link to join our online community. And so we want you to join the group and invite your friends and, you know, maybe this is for someone in your world who needs connection or has questions. It's a great way to interface with your online community, with your friend group that's already present on Facebook. And what you can expect is we're going to provide uh, sermon content, like on um, the interactive deep dives. We're going to do a daily encouragement. We're going to give you learning opportunities. There's going to be prayer. And we know that behind every Facebook profile is a person, right? And our heart is always about people. So we're very excited. So do that today. Jump in with us and um, let's get excited about this new way to connect. So now let me go to week number seven in our healthy series. And we're talking about, today we're talking about growing up emotionally. Growing up emotionally. So listen, all of us grow up physiologically, but that doesn't guarantee that we grow up emotionally. Uh, and, and you've witnessed this, maybe in other people's lives, maybe you've seen things in your own life where there's just not that emotional development that needs to take place. It just hasn't happened. And so I want you to, I want you to agree with me on something today. I want you to agree with me that this statement is true. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Loving well is the goal 
of the Christian life. I want you to think about that. The more I've thought about it over the last few weeks, the more I've realized how true that statement really is. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. And when, this, when I talk about loving well, I'm talking about loving God and about loving people. I'm talking about allowing love to lead us into the presence of God and love to guide us in the presence of people. In other words, it's not just love that, that is vertical, it's love that's horizontal. And so emotional maturity lives out this kind of love. Now, when I have seen the emotionally immature individuals, um, what I discover is that they live out more of an I-it kind of relationship instead of an I-you kind of relationship. Let me explain what I mean. Think about a baby. Baby's born. And what does that baby need? That baby needs mama. The baby doesn't know who mama is, but the baby knows that it needs mama. And it needs the nourishment that mama provides, the comfort that mama provides. It needs, you know, the help that mama provides on every level. In other words, a baby is geared towards saying, all of my needs are your responsibility. And you know what? Naturally, babies grow up. They learn. They provide for themselves. They even learn to provide for others at times. But when it comes to our emotional maturity, this isn't a guarantee. And you know, the sad truth is, is that many stay emotional infants. And what I mean by this is that they would suggest, and, and this can be a frame of reference, a frame of mind. My needs are the primary needs. Mine are more important than anybody else's and they're your responsibility. My needs are primary and they're your responsibility. That's the I-it relationship. It doesn't really matter who you are. It doesn't really matter what you need. I see you as a way, a means to my end, which is getting my needs met. But there is this other way to relate to one another. And it's this I, you, it's, it, it, it's, it's mutual. It's a, not an I, it, where you provide for me. It's an I, you relationship in contrast to the I, it relationship. And it sees people as worth investing in as worth learning from, as worth the effort, because people are effort. <laughs> this is about practicing love in the presence of people. And you know what? In order for that to really happen, you have to slow down. It has to be a different pace. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus, was this different pace. He could be moving from village to village, but he always seemed to have time for people, for the one person. And this is really the goal for us, is to see other people the way that God sees them, to see every person the way that God sees them. So remember, loving well is the goal of the Christian life. And loving well means I seek to be connected to God, of course, but also to be connected to people. And Jesus does such a brilliant job of bringing these worlds together. And um, he does it throughout his life, but he also does it through his teaching. And so I want to look at a piece of the teaching of Jesus from Matthew 5, where Jesus blends the two for us, the love in the presence of God and in the presence of people. And he does this so beautifully in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Because as he's teaching, he gives us a combination, a blend of things that are about our relationship to God and our love for God and our love for people. And so I'm going to give you some of the highlights. Um, and, and, and I just want you to kind of track with me for a moment. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 and 5, we're going to just kind of walk through that. Firstly, verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So in other words, if it's something going on in my spirit, it's between me and God. God is the one who perfects my spirit. God is the one I understand through the spirit man. He also said, blessed are those who mourn. And that's about being with God and for people. I mourn because I carry God's heart. I've learned his love. And now that love flows over into people. I mourn over the place people are at. And then in verse five, he says, blessed are the meek. And this is about God and people. I'm meek before God and I'm meek when I'm interacting with people. In other words, meekness is, is strength under control, right? Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's about God, longing for God. That's a very vertical statement. It really focuses on, on God. Now listen to the next one. Blessed are the merciful. That's about people. God doesn't need our mercy. God needs us to be merciful to others. And then verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. Now we're vertical again. I have a pure, clean heart before God. Certainly that affects people, but that's about being before God in the presence of God. Now listen to this one. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now that's all about people. Jesus brings peace between us and God, but we can be peacemakers with other people. Are you seeing the blend here? Verse 10, blessed are those who more, or no, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's about people. I'm following God and then I find myself in a difficult place with people. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, this is about people on behalf of God. You read on verse 13 says, you're the salt of the earth. Well, that's about being before people on behalf of God. Do you, are you seeing the blend here? Verse 14, you're the light of the world. In other words, people need that light that God has placed in you. You need to share it. So Jesus does this beautiful job of blending all of these things together. If you look at the rest of the chapter, there's other themes. It's like contempt, forgiveness, reconciliation, adultery, divorce, revenge, loving your enemies. All of that is present in this one chapter. Why do I share this with you? Because what we see here is being emotionally mature means we realize that we have to practice love in the presence of people. And sometimes we do that on behalf of God. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus engages some pretty difficult yet very real scenarios. I mean, he's talking about mourning and about being insulted and about being persecuted and, 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 about, um, and about being merciful and about making peace. And that's going to really be a key thought for us. Why does he talk about these real scenarios? Because relationships are real and relationships are difficult. And if we get our relationship with God right, but wreck it with people, are we really getting it right with God? Think about the conflicts you can experience with people. 
The possibilities are actually endless in a terrible way. And that's why Jesus calls us to the hard work of learning how to deal with conflict. Nobody likes it. If you like it, you're weird, but we all have to deal with it because we're all going to have it. It's people's stuff. And so now let's take a look at that key verse. I read a part of it. I'm going to read the whole verse now. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Children of God. Now we've been talking about growing up emotionally. Now I bring up a verse about being the children of God. You might be wondering, okay, what's going on here? But I want you to know, this is about being childlike, not about being childish. This isn't about immature behavior. This is about belonging. It's about being deeply connected to the father. So what Jesus is actually saying here to you and to me is that the capacity that we have to make peace actually becomes the evidence that we are the children of God, that we belong to him. It's, it's how other people will know it and see it. And it's the proof. So we often think when we read this verse, you know, where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, we often think the opposite. Avoiding conflict, just keeping peace, just making everybody happy. Avoiding conflict is actually more Christ-like and that's the thing that we should be doing. But I want to, I just want to tell you, listen, that's not real peace. That's false peace. It's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about appeasing and, you know, wrecking your own internal life so that other people just don't know how upset you really are. That's false peace. And Jesus spoke about this false peace in, in Matthew chapter 10. And I want us to look at it together here. It's a, it's a very interesting couple of verses here. We're going to read verses 34 to 36. It says, this is Jesus speaking. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's right. He said a sword. For I have come, listen, to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, Jesus is speaking prophetically here about the fact that those who chose to follow Christ would in many ways be invited into a new family, but could potentially lose out with their biological family because they wouldn't understand they wouldn't, they wouldn't grasp the new values, the new perspective. We don't necessarily have some of those tensions here in North America, but in other parts of the world, they certainly do. If you come from a Hindu background or a Muslim background and, and you choose Christ as your one and only savior, that's going to cost you something within the context of family. And Jesus understood that. But he's actually saying something else. He's saying, listen, in your family right now, you practice false peace. Everybody just kind of skirts around the issue. But Jesus said what he said because you can't have the true peace of Christ's kingdom with lies and pretense. Jesus is not interested in false peace. He's interested in real peace. And the sad truth is that unresolved conflicts are one of the greatest tensions in Christians' lives today. And it's because we settle for false peace. Let, let me give you a, a few examples of that. 
start with this idea. You might right now be feeling frustrated that your spouse often comes home late from work. I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of the feeling. I've also been guilty of the the, uh, crime. (laughs) I've come home late and I've had seasons of that. And so you have a couple of, you know, choices to make in that. But you might feel frustrated that your spouse is coming home late from work, but you may choose not to say anything because you feel like that's being Christ-like. But the thing that you can't help is the fact that you're giving them the cold shoulder, that your words are short, that inside of you, there is tension and grinding. That is false peace. Or maybe you disagree with your coworkers and the way they're gossiping about the boss or framing the conversation, but you don't say anything because you don't want to kill the atmosphere or damage the relationship. That's false peace. Or maybe your parents are critical of the way that you raise your kids, but instead of saying anything, you know, when you spend your time with them, when you're with them on your holidays, you're just filled with tension and anxiety and you're just waiting for them to say another thing, but you never voice your feelings out of fear. That's false peace. Or, or you think your boyfriend or your girlfriend is irresponsible, but you feel bad for them. They've had a hard life. They've had a difficult time. So you never tell them that their behavior is slowly killing your relationship. That's false peace. You see, making real peace means we get good at working through conflict, not avoiding it. So I want to now just take the last kind of section of the message We've looked at what Jesus has to say. We've looked at how he aligns this presence of people with the presence of God. We can see how he's encouraging us to have the I-U relationship where we value the person in a mutual way. And now I want to just give you some practical skills. Remember, loving well is the goal of the Christian life. And you can't love well with lies and pretense. So, Let me give you two ways. There's probably many, but let me give you two ways to love well in conflict. And the first one is this, practice healthy communication. When I do marriage counseling, I spend more time on communication than anything else. And what I say to the couples that I'm working with is some of the stuff I'll share with you now is that any communication style will do when there's no conflict. We can chat, we can be casual, I can send you a text, I can send you an emoji, (laughs) I can write an email, it's all fine, none of it matters because there's no conflict. But as soon as there's conflict, you've got to have a very specific way of getting through that. And so I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about speaking and about listening, okay? Speaking and listening. And in the midst of speaking and listening, there's responses on both sides that are going to actually help you. So I'm teaching you this, sharing it with you, because I want to help you win. And I want you to feel like you're equipped to engage conflict rather than just simply avoiding it. So when you're speaking, here's the criteria. I want you to talk about your own thoughts and feelings. This is a place where you use I language. And you don't project. It's probably the most common mistake. I feel like you always. I feel like you never. Let's get away from that. Talk about your own thoughts and feelings. I feel misunderstood. I feel hurt. I feel wounded. That's much easier to gather around. That's much easier to to get behind than I feel like you never. I feel like you always. Then I feel like I must defend myself. You see? 
So talk about your own thoughts and feelings. Uh, choose to be brief, to the point, use short sentences. Don't go on and on and on and on. There's many layers. We get that. Be succinct so that the person can process what you're saying. Speak until you feel that you've been understood, but speak in brief sentences. And when you're finished, say, that's all for now. That leaves the opportunity to return to the conversation if there's more, but that's all for now. In other words, you're giving the other person now permission to engage. So while that speaking is going on and one person is listening, can I encourage you this? I'm maybe talking to married couples, talking to those in relationship, talking about roommates and, and even conflicts at work. If you can agree to these ground rules, when you're listening, put your own agenda on hold. Try really hard just to be quiet and still. And allow the other person to speak until they're actually finished. You know, one of the things I've seen so often in fights and in, and in difficulty is the argument's actually about one thing, but it eventually ends up being about everything. Because we interrupt, we interject, the conversation travels. The way that you keep that from happening is just keep listening until the person is finished. Don't add fuel to the fire. Don't add comments. Hold your tongue. And then reflect the other person's words back to them. This is a really good exercise. You can paraphrase or you can try to speak literally. This is what I heard you say. And when it appears um, the speaker is done, ask this question. This one is so good. Okay, is there more? Just, just making room because I want to hear it all. And when they're done, you can ask this. Oh, this will change so many conversations you have. Ask this. Okay, out of everything that you have shared, what's the most important thing you want me to remember? And what that does is that gives the other person permission to boil it down to the crux of the issue. Then you'll have an opportunity to respond, a dialogue, and move back through that exercise. But if you can learn to do that, it will help you immensely, immensely when things are tense. Okay? Second thing I want to talk to you about. I, I said I'd give you two ways to kind of prioritize love and to, to grow in the goal, which is to love well, um, in conflict. Here's the second one. Stop mind reading. <laughs> in other words, kill your wrong assumptions. We make so many assumptions, don't we? And along with those assumptions come all kinds of expectations that we fail to communicate. It's, it's messy and, and, and we're telling ourselves a story. We're writing a story in our own mind. But can I encourage you that the Bible speaks very clearly about this in Exodus 20, verse 16. Now, this is the, the famous passage of scripture that has the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments actually informs exactly what we're talking about. And here's what it says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, let me apply that verse to this idea of you must stop mind reading. You must kill your wrong assumptions. You see, every time I make an assumption about someone who has hurt me or disappointed me, I believe a lie about that person or about that situation in my own head. And you know, even worse than that is I'll be tempted to pass that assumption along to someone else. 
That, my friend, is false testimony. I'm telling somebody else my assumption. That's false testimony. Okay, so what do you do with assumptions? Sometimes they're huge. What do you do with expectations? Sometimes they're massive and you feel so undone by not being able to process them. Okay, I'm going to give you a tool for this. So I want to help you check out your assumptions. And and I'm just going to, this is simple, but it's so powerful. You ready for this? Here's how you can do it. I want you just to reflect on something you suspect the other person thinks or feels, but hasn't told you yet. Because that's where the assumptions come from. And so once you have that kind of scenario going on, you know what? I bet you they're thinking this, or I bet you they're doing that. Or you know what? I, I don't think they're actually here. I think they're actually there. Then here's what you do. You ask that person, okay, hey, do I have your permission to check out an assumption I'm making? In other words, I could totally be wrong, but I want to check this out. And then chances are the other person will say, sure. And if they grant you that opportunity, then you can continue. And what you do is you say something like this. I think you think fill in the blank or I assume you are thinking fill in the blank. Or I assume that when you do this, you actually mean that. Fill in the blank. And then ask, is that correct? And in that simple exercise, people then have the opportunity to either affirm what was an assumption and you're not mind reading or say, oh, no, 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 that's not it. It's this. And all of a sudden clarity comes. And so this is a simple way to wade into a situation where you're holding something that creates conflict and releasing it and being willing to be wrong and say, oh, I'm sorry, that was an assumption, wasn't it? I'm so glad we had this conversation. And you can use this tool with anyone you have a relationship with. This works great in the workplace. This works fantastic in your family life, with your parents, with your children, you know, with a roommate, right? It works so well. So I want to encourage you to use those two tools, okay? Use these two scenarios. Let's, let's get really clear on communication and let's kill assumption. Let's stop mind reading. And so what am I doing for you here? I feel like I could keep going. There's just so much here for us about growing in emotional maturity. But what, what I really wanted to elevate, kind of the, the backstory, hundreds of different scenarios where we need emotional maturity, But what I really wanted to just get you to is to see a couple of places where we realize it's not that easy and it's certainly not natural, right? But it is how you love well, which is the goal of the Christian life. So listen, if you keep the same patterns, you're going to get the same results, right? But Jesus promised that you will be blessed if you choose to make real peace, Don't settle for false peace. Don't just skirt the issue. Don't just go around it. Hey, listen. We all need peace in our lives. But sometimes we're settling for something less than what we could actually have if we followed Jesus in a radical way and really said, I want to learn to love well. And maybe you're watching and This is a really key question for you. Do you have real peace? If you're a follower of Jesus, you know, real peace has come to live inside of you. Peace that can't be taken away by the world's troubles, by the world's problems, 
by COVID-19 or anything else, right? But maybe you don't have that peace. Maybe you're watching and you've been invited by a friend or you're, you, you've stumbled onto this or the topic was interesting or, or whatever. You've just been tracking but not really made a decision. Listen, do you have peace with God through Jesus? Because today we've been talking about how life can get so messy. And maybe you feel that mess. You think about some of the scenarios we've been looking at and you can feel that in your own life. Yeah. Listen, if you're in that place where you say, I don't think I have peace. I don't think I have real peace with Jesus. Why don't you let Jesus clear away some of the mess through giving you his peace in your soul? It simply comes down to willingly accepting. We're talking about communication, right? Why don't you just communicate that desire? God is listening. God is watching. God loves you and he's been reaching out to you. And right now he wants to draw you to himself. So maybe what you could do right now is just say, Jesus, I want your peace. Come and live in my life. Please, Lord. Oh, what a messy place this has been. Come and bring peace in my soul. You know, Jesus answers prayers like that. And although this is just a beginning point, it's a tremendous beginning point. And we want to walk with you. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you're making that decision, let me give you two options. One is if you're watching in church online, you'll notice that there's a place where you can click a hand that says, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to encourage you. Would you do that? Would you click that hand and say, yes, that's me. I'm praying this prayer. I'm making this decision. Maybe you're watching on YouTube or some other platform. Maybe you're watching at a different time. It's not a Sunday. There's no live chat. I want to encourage you. Would you just text life to this number? Any of you can do that at any time. And we want to reach back to you because we love you. And we know that your Christian life is beginning by inviting Jesus in but you need somebody to walk with you. There's so much to learn and you don't have to do this alone, okay? You don't have to just sit behind your computer or your TV or your, you know, internet ready device by yourself. We're here for you and we love you. So Lord Jesus, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would minister to every person who's listening today. I pray that you would touch their life that you would allow them to have the peace that is real living inside of them and to express that peace. Lord, I thank you that you want to help us live in the presence of God and also in the presence of people. Help us, Lord, with conflict, with these difficult places. Help us, Lord, to do the hard work so that we can be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.